0: Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on theblaze.com podcast network find us at blaze.com theblaze.com backslash podcast find me on soundcloud share this with your friends thank you for coming back if you're looking for that voice of reason american patriot a muslim who believes radical islam is a muslim problem that needs a muslim solution you have come to the right place if you're looking for rationality no identity politics no political correctness but simply honest frank conversation you've come to the right place and this week does not disappoint well hey if you're looking for me to read to you the miller muller report uh you will be disappointed Uh, i will not do that i'll let you make your own conclusions not to mention that uh um, i think there's more important things out there Uh, it's amazing to me to see the um uh, for whatever you think about the details in there bottom line is is how often do we see department of justice Other arms of our government, when they decide there's no case, file hundreds and hundreds of pages of costly reports, only to then have it read to us on TV, because we're too dumb to read it ourselves, and at the end of the day, there's no indictment. Yeah, there are people indicted that lied and other things on the way, but the president had no... Offenses that were indictable, according to Robert Mueller. Anyway, this is not the place where you can go to find that. There are a lot of other talking heads you can listen to. But here, there's a lot of things to talk about. Last week, I promised you we'd talk about Sudan, Algeria. I've got some more stories to talk to you about Iran, about female genital mutilation. The latest. The feds dumped the case in Detroit. Yes, they did. We've been following that case here. They dumped it. Iran, Iran's hackers have been doxed, thank God. I'm not a fan of doxing, but when it's corrupt regimes and their electronic army, that's a good thing. And honor killings. They're back in the news, God forbid. Yes, they're back in the news. But let's talk first about Sudan's upheavals. I talked to you about that last time and ran out of time and could not talk to you about it. But Sudan, while we all sit and uh, wait on... uh, Pins and needles for reports. Two more governments. Two more governments saw their dictators of 20 years leave. Algeria and Sudan. Dictators. Remember there's that classic picture. The classic picture of the Arab awakening in 2011 where we saw the... Dictators of Bashar al Assad walking with Omar Bashir in Damascus, Syria. And then the other pictures that included Muammar Gaddafi of Libya, Tunisian President Zine al Abidine Ben Ali. And those five are standing there. And now they said, well, there's still Bashar Assad and there's still Omar Bashir. And now Bashir has gone. No longer the president or the dictator, the tyrant of Sudan. What did we miss? As Assad is still there, but he had to take almost half of his population with him. 10 million of the 21 million Syrians have been displaced from their homes. 4 million have left the country. 600,000 have left this earth dead chemical weapons being used, ISIS coming out of that, unbelievable upheaval, and a civil war that's now dwindling, but still a country that has lost most of its capacities. Well, Sudan's upheavals, as Nandita Balakrishnan talks about in the Washington Post this week, is sort of a gray zone coup. Well, what did she mean by that? Well, remember, we certainly no, no human being can but celebrate the end of a tyranny the end of a tyrant who is taken down and many of us who've been working this topic who've been working in the area of freedom and democracy you know as you know i chair the american islamic forum for democracy and that is our Goal. Our goal is to bring the ideas of freedom and liberty to the Muslim consciousness. We believe it's the primary antidote to radical Islam, and it's the primary antidote to Arab fascism, Ba'athism, autocracy across the Middle East, and that it needs to have a third pathway of liberty. And that you cannot reform Islam in the vacuums that are the Arab tyrannies. From Omar Bashir to Bashar Assad to Khomeini in Iran, to King Mohammed Salman in Saudi Arabia and on. All these tyrants simply brew, some more than others, cauldrons of radical Islam, Wahhabism. And now we've seen within days, two major Arab states in Northern Africa have seen their people forcing the hand, as many have said, of their dictators. So... Now, you would say, well, not much has changed. The military stepped in and you got a coup. This is why the Washington Post talks about gray zone coups. Yes, clearly the military did topple the government, as she says in her piece. Now, the African Union denounced the military takeover, and the military came in after you've had a few months of people in the street, hundreds of thousands. Protesting, And the dictator actually coming to a fork in the road and deciding, what do I do? Do I go the way of Assad? Do I go the way of Mubarak, who ultimately stepped down, went to trial in a cage as his military stepped in 18 months later after the Muslim Brotherhood won an election? But then there were more revolutions and they were forced out by the people, but then by a military coup which obviously was another one of these gray zone coups. And what do we mean by gray zone coups? Well, it's where the military steps in to negotiate the transition of power. And there have been examples, like they cite Mugabe, who ultimately was given residence, was given retirement, and negotiated power release. In Zimbabwe. In which. You saw that. In history that. He claimed. His 40 year 10 year had done. He retired. He had the ability to travel. He had luxurious residence. But ultimately. He was replaced by the military. So I can tell you that ultimately you can't reform these countries towards civil society, to building new institutions that are necessary for true reform, intellectual growth, civil society, free press, free media. Al-Sisi now in Egypt is torturing and imprisoning journalists at a faster rate than even Mubarak was. Certainly he's better than the Muslim Brotherhood, but there's no argument the fact that he's still an autocrat. In Algeria, Abdelaziz Bouteflika announced that he was stepping down after 20 years in power after the military refused to support his bid for a fifth term. So they used a little coercion to force a negotiated settlement in that gray zone. The leader says he stepped down, but he was basically forced out. The people went to the streets. The people feel that they got their voice heard. But the question is, you can't build democracy on the ashes of a deep state military control as we see in Egypt. You can't build democracy without civil society institutions. And that's why Tunisia is really still the only country in the Middle East that now is building a democracy out of the ashes of the departure of their king, of their ruler. Why? Because they're building institutions, they're allowing free press, they're defeated the Islamists in a democratic election through a coalition that defeated the Islamists. We did not see that in Egypt. There was no coalition. It was basically the NDP, the National Democratic Party. And then you look on Twitter, you follow many that are cheering what happened in Sudan, and they should be taken together. I don't think that it was a coincidence that these happened at the same time. And as my friend Mr. Widedi on Twitter, an expert on the Middle East, who's uh, been tweeting and doing grassroots frontline work on counter dictatorship, pro freedom and liberty through the Middle East, mentioned in a and I think a very revealing thread on Sudan, he said. These regimes are unsustainable. They have an unsustainable model, and they met their logical end. And it won't be the last end in the Arab world. Almost all of them are unsustainable and ticking time bombs. But the military comes in as the savior because it's actually the source of the problem. By design, it's the only institution left standing. All political parties, civil societies, were pulverized and atomized by the very same army. So they allow the radicalization of their people, it decimates society, and then they come in as the savior. It ensures their continued cycle, sometimes as answer to the people, sometimes as answer to the party, sometimes as answer to the ruler. But now they're figuring out a way, as the Post talks about of how autocrats autocrats are learning coup-proofing, and militaries learned negotiations. So the autocrats coup-proof themselves to change the chairs on their Titanic, and the militaries are learning how to negotiate with people. So are we stuck in this cycle, sort of 20th 20th century dictatorship? Point two. I don't see 21st century liberation or revolutions happening. We're seeing steps back. But you and I have talked about that before, haven't we? And I'll get to that in a second. But to continue from Mr. Daddy's notes on his thread, he said, mark my words, world powers won't side with democracy. They'll try to patch back the broken, discredited governance models both regimes pioneered in the name of stability, thus saving the violence and terror incubators both these regimes were. And that's true in many ways. Now, the West obviously will not side with Bashir, a war criminal who's wanted on war crimes and should have been arrested at any moment he left his state, as the West had called for. I was on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom. We had called for that for years. And the deposing of Bashir, believe it or not, you may not be hearing about it now, but it will send shockwaves throughout the Middle East. It will. The stability above all argument is nonsense. It is nonsense because it's not stability. There are cauldrons. I've talked about this in Syria. Find my peace, the cauldron that brewed ISIS These cauldrons are cycles that will continue to repeat themselves. And we talked about that cycle last week. As the old saying goes, according to Udadi, there are no atheists in the foxhole. There's no such thing as pro-democracy dictators, least of all in the Arab world. For them, what happened in both countries, Algeria and Sudan, has to be fought at any cost to prevent democracy from taking root and as he says that picture that showed the dictators across the Middle East Mubarak Gaddafi Ben Ali Bashir they're all gone that should hang in every room yes there's Regimes are worse. And let's end this conversation in that you and I have talked before that if you look at Iran, Iran now is much worse than it was after the Shah. But the what comes next crowd needs to stop. First of all, it's not ours to determine. Self-determination is a country to determine as long as we don't have nuclear weapons and as long as we do everything we can to prevent foreign intervention into their countries i.e. Russia, Iran into Syria i.e. Iran Saudi Arabia into Yemen then let them have their revolutions and side with those who share we should side not militarily but influentially not sending troops but siding with those who share our values. ISIS and others grew out of support from Turkey, Qatar, Saudi Arabia. They share the values with the Islamists. Now, you may say we should stay out of it, but if we don't, the militants will be supported. The autocrats of Assad will get support from Iran or Russia. This is the game we're in. Now, we can't... We can't pick dictators. This Game of Thrones process in the Middle East has to end. So please, I, I, I implore you, the 20th century thing where we pick like when Lindsey Graham a few months ago was talking about after the Khashoggi affair, MBS needs to step down, and he was even identifying who should become the king or the crown prince. That is absurd not to apologize for any crimes against humanity done by these rulers but their people should defeat them what comes next is natural maturation and people's voices being heard and other social platforms social media platforms that exist for the peoples to have a voice and that's what we should encourage so no stability is not our friend It might sound great for the next month to have a stable balance between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Yeah, that makes sense. But in the long term, you really think either of those regimes is fueling reform and modernity? The Saudis are doing it as window dressing. The Iranians are one of the most heinous, imperialistic terrorist regimes on the planet. So yeah, right now the Saudis are obviously on our side and far more stable and pro-American, but internally they treat their people like slaves. Internally, the women of Saudi Arabia want to be freed. I've seen this. I've been there when I was on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom. They won't talk about it. They'll present a different face and lie to your face. But the Game of Thrones has to stop. And what comes next is a natural maturation. Yes, the Khomeinists are much worse in the last 40 years than they, the situation was for the rest of the world under the Shah. But the Shah was a dictatorship. And now that they've lived under theocracy for 40 years, the Iranians will never go back. And I think similarly, the Egyptians had the brotherhood. They'll never go back to the brotherhood. And if they do, there may be some stuttering. And we see with revolutions that revolutions come and go. And eventually democracy will start. It won't take hold quickly, but will start to take hold. We're seeing it in Tunisia. So these growth patterns are going to happen because socialism, nationalistic fascism, is a terminal ideology. It will always fail. So we can either be on the right side of history Or we can continue to support regimes that, in the short term, I get it, but in the long term, we should be looking for what their expiration date is and give them that expiration date and the expiration process in which they will begin to work with ideologies that support the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And there are processes to do that internally as they evolve from fascistic, bigoted, extremist states, Wahhabist ideologies... Islamist Qatari ideologies, whatever it might be, as they evolve into a normalcy that will involve a voice of the people, and that will need a transition. And not ours to decide, but the people's. Now, some of them may evolve into Islamist states that we will then have to fight, hopefully not militarily, but ideologically. Ideologically. And that will evolve. Yes, the fight that we have now against radical Islamism is a generational one. But if we are going to have a process of defeating them, then that process, I believe, is going to have to begin in Iran right now. And by the way, let's finish Sudan for a second. The military's taken over, they say it's going to be two years interim. Initially, the person or the military head that was going to take over, I don't recall his name right now, but bottom line is, is he was also wanted on war crimes in Darfur. And now he has said he will not take over. So whoever's going to run it, it's interim military coup. We'll see how it evolves, but I doubt the military is just going to walk away. The militaries and all of these Middle Eastern governments are corrupt, corrupt, kleptocratic, autocratic Sharia states type ideologues. And I know they're secular, they're not Islamists. Uh, I saw some folks on Twitter, Hassan Hassan and others try to say that, ah, oh, Jasser doesn't know what he's talking about. He said Eritrea was a Sharia Islamist state and they're a bunch of secular dictators. Listen, that's obvious. This is not a a dissertation on Eritrea that I'm doing in Thirty seconds. Bottom line is is a lot of these military dictators use. Saddam Hussein had scripture on the flag as he radicalized his people. The dictators will use the instrument of Sharia law. We see it in the secular Pakistani government that is an Islamic republic that has blasphemy laws and other Sharia laws. And many of these countries are no different. Back to Iran. Another story missed this week is the fact that for nearly three years, a mysterious group called the Shadow Brokers have been disemboweling, as Andy Greenberg talks about, disemboweling the NSA's hackers and leaking their hacking tools onto the open web. Iran's hackers are getting their own taste of that unnerving experience, Andy said. A mystery person or group has been targeting a top Iranian hawker, hacker team and dumping their secret data, tools, and even identities onto a public Telegram channel. Telegram is sort of like WhatsApp and other communication softwares. And the leak shows no signs of stopping. Since March 25th, a Telegram channel called Read My Lips or Lab Duktagon, which translates from Farsi as "Sewn lips, has been systematically spilling The secrets of a hacker group known as APT-34 or Oil Rig, which researchers have long believed to be working in the service of the Iranian government. So far, the leaker or the leakers have published a collection of the hacker's tools evidence of their intrusion points for 66 victim organizations across the planet. So, I think the, the telling thing here is, The fact that it shows you the power of technology. Those regimes used, the Assad regime used their Syrian electronic army to wreak havoc on innocent protesters as they communicated, called for days of rage, of revolution against their regimes, and bring people to the streets, and they started to target them online for systematic assassination by the regime. And now to see that turn the tables by basically the same regime, Iran, against that same regime shows you that the revolution is getting powerful and what can happen when Western Technologies telegram, I believe, is based in Silicon Valley and they're facilitating pushback against the Iranian criminals. God bless the read-my-lips leakers. Continue your good work. Next, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the feds. The feds had finally had a big case against female genital mutilation. Doctors that were performing these horrific procedures on young girls ages 7 to 9 in Detroit. They had a sting operation in which they were seen going in and out of clinics late in the hours after clinic hours in the evenings after 5, 6 o'clock down at the 7, 9 o'clock p.m. Kids were being brought from Somali kids were being brought from Minnesota across state lines, and they thought that they could use the law that was passed by the Senate in the mid-90s against FGM. Now, there was no state law in Michigan against FGM passed at this time. Now it is against the law, but that was passed recently. Well, these doctors got themselves a slick attorney, who argued that there's no jurisdiction, that this federal law is unconstitutional. And sure enough, the judge in a statement said, well, as horrific as these crimes are, it's beyond the purview of the federal government. And he dismissed, in early dismissal, the charges of FGM against these monsters of physicians that were mutilating and committing they said just a nick but mutilating the genitals of these young girls without consent all oh, were their parents consent but that's horrific child abuse without the child without the patient's consent these charges were dropped and on appeal now the federal government decided it will not appeal And they begged the federal government to write new laws to figure out a way to insulate it from the process that prevents for example the. let me clarify for a second the Department of Justice had concluded that The doctors, again, even though they committed these acts of heinous crime at this Livonia clinic in 2015, Judge Friedman concluded that the law was unconstitutional and that Congress had no authority to enact a law criminalizing FGM. He said there's nothing commercial or economic about FGM in his 28-page opinion. He said it's not part of a larger market, has no demonstrated effect on interstate commerce, and the Commerce Clause that the government invoked does not permit Congress to regulate a crime of this nature. The Justice Department submitted a legislative proposal to Congress that would, among other things, amend the federal law and make it a crime when a defendant or victim crosses state lines to undergo the procedure. Attention Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, your office needs you, your office is calling you, there's a legislative proposal, will you sponsor it? What a way for Ilhan Omar to show that she's a moderate anti-Islamist and to sponsor the legislation. No, instead in Minnesota, actually, she tried to stop it as a state legislature, as a state legislator. She voted against the banning of FGM because she said it targeted some communities and you can look it up. It's pathetic. She'll give you some religious freedom points and other things, but I think it shows that she's a dyed in the wool Islamist. Now, some will argue that these two doctors will ultimately still be standing trial because of obstruction of justice, lying to federal authorities and others but i still don't think that that's going to get their children justice the case is still heading to trial on the remaining charges at trial the defense is confident a jury will agree that there was no fgm in this case and see that the prosecution relied on an unreliable medical expert that's what her defense attorney said but women's rights groups thankfully blasted the opinion calling it a setback for women and girls. So, there's a lot to learn here, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see what happens. Is there going to be a legislative proposal to correct this? I don't know. Will Congress wake up and fix this? to make it insulated from appeal. Michigan now made their law against FGM, so 26 states have done so, 24 or so. Organizations like the AHA Foundation, Ian Ali Foundation and others are doing a lot of great work in this regard. But that law was too late. That law was after these doctors were arrested. Now it was too late for those kids. But so many others will be saved. So many others. And to that point, honor killings, the story of honor killings just does not go away. There was another horrific set of them. And an old case of one over 10 years that now is getting major, major attention in the UK. First, let me start here locally in Arizona. A Muslim man in Arizona was arrested on four counts of honor killings of his wife, two daughters, and the man with whom he believed his wife was having an affair. This was just a few days ago. According to Phoenix Police Chargent Tommy Thompson, Austin Smith, the convert, said that the reason he shot these individuals is because in God's eyes, it was all right for him to deal with someone in this manner who had been involved in adultery and extramarital affairs. Smith also told police he killed his seven-year-old daughter because she was weeping for the wicked. That's sick. Outright sick. According to court documents, he said spared his three-year-old who was found hiding under a bed because she reminded him of himself as in many cases of honor crimes. And this is from a great story done by Clarion Project. Myra Zvirsky wrote it up. She said, according to the court documents, he spared his three-year-old who was found hiding under the bed because she reminded him of himself. So clearly antisocial, narcissistic, personality disorder. But the bottom line is is there's no doubt he's still driven by the pathology of the theopolitical militant ideology of radical Islamism, of the belief that Sharia, the Islamic law that protects women that protects their purity, if it's violated through adultery, through any other rules that they may break drinking dating wearing short skirts etc that that needs to be punished and we've seen other cases here in phoenix and across the country and across the world in the west not just in the middle east his underlying ideology is one of believing it is the man's job maintain the purity of his daughter of his mother of his wife of his sister and you see laws in the palestinian areas in jordan in pakistan in which if a brother kills his sister he may get a small punishment for a few months and then released because he was committing he was committing an act of sharia enforcement which is accepted rather than an heinous, inhuman act of barbarism, which it is. And then I mentioned the case in the UK. In the UK, Ham Ahmed, who was 17 when her parents forced her siblings to watch as they stuffed a plastic bag into her mouth and suffocated her death. Ahmed, whose family had moved to the UK, was horrifically abused by those same parents for years over the fact that she was too westernized. That's the common theme. Thousands of girls are killed by this concept of being too westernized. Her murder was not a spur-of-the-moment decision, a crime of passion, according to family members, but it took them nine years before any family member was willing to break the silence and tell the police, who had up until recently never had conclusively been able to prove the honor killing. The new documentary was released, When Missing Turns to Murder. Investigators and friends of the Ahmed family revealed the harrowing extent of Shefiliya's abuse and the wall of silence the police were met with from her family and the wider community following her death. And, you know, listen, I understand the judges are always want to say this is not an honor killing, there is no honor, and they just want to relegate it to psychiatric disorder. But what's FGM about? FGM, as we said, female gentleman mutilation, is about girls who are born supposedly hypersexual that are thus desexualized in order to control their sexuality. All of this deep misogyny, this barbarism has to end. And it will not end unless we expose the reality of the truth that's behind it. We need to speak to the truth of how girls are treated with subtle honor, subtle subtle abuse, patronization, and a lack of equality. That's not Western- westernization, that is treating them with universal human rights, ending the misogyny, ending the FGM, ending the honor crimes, calling it out. Judges need to call it out. Uh, Prosecutors need to call it out. Some of the most versed people on honor crimes are police doing this work who really recognize the pathologies within the community. So psychiatric illness may feed into giving a psychotic individual the, the green light to move ahead, and exaggerate some of the voices, but the voices that he hears are the voices of Salafi, jihadi clerics from Saudi Arabia, from Northern Virginia, where you saw an imam explain at the Falls Church Mosque, Da'ar al-Hijrah, where we saw audio just six months ago of, a, of an imam saying that the desexualization of women is necessary because they're born hypersexual. That female genital circumcision is absolutely necessary, according to them. That's heinous. He's saying that in America. And very little work was done to counter that, other than by people in our Muslim reform movement. So, this week we saw the Democrats decide, some of them decide to send back you know, money, as Ilhan Omar was being the perennial victim, the Muslim victim, who, if we speak against her, or if President Trump shows a video in which she clearly makes statements that she dishonors 9-11, and and pointing that out then becomes a death warrant against her, that it becomes a, a, a license to kill her. That is absurd. Free speech is not incitement. Incitement is when you actually call for the act of violence. But criticizing someone's politics, especially a sitting adult member of Congress, Congress is not a rehabilitation program for ideolog- ideological radicals. No. It is an opportunity for Americans to learn what she stands for. and She does not represent all Muslims. She represents the Islamist strain of Muslims. And now we see Democrats rushing to her defense, but yet they are sending back donations. So that hypocrisy, as she now gained a million dollars to her war chest within a few months of coming to Congress... Because she was made into the victim, she has to get security and all this. Are you kidding me? Her organization itself, CARE, lists on their Islamophobia.org website a hit list of individuals that they say are hateful towards Islam, and that includes me. And I have received threats from Al-Qaeda and ISIS and others that uses the information that they got from that list in order to threaten me because they claim that if care says i'm anti-islam then i must be anti-islam forget what i do personally in my practice in my family of my faith beliefs no it doesn't matter if the takfiris the takfiris who decide who is and who is not muslim at care and other salafi organizations islamist and salafi organizations decide what we are then their are hit list matter because that's what takfirism is it's Once they declare you're not Muslim, then you're apostate. The punishment for apostasy is death. So that actually is a far clearer death threat if you want to say it. Now, I'm a big boy. I'll point out how radical that makes them seem. But I won't cower behind whining about it being placed as being some should be removed and should be shut up. No. Will expose this. If there's anything that exposes how radical the Hamas operatives from CARE are, it's that. They're such cowards, they won't deal with our issues at the Muslim Reform Movement. They actually prefer to call us Islamophobes, which makes no sense. So these things all go together, don't they? FGM, honor killings. Islamists in Congress that refuse to make a stance against it and then raise money out of being victims. And then the Democrats who are too weak will actually send back money. And as political or real clear politics or whoever broke the story talks about, I think Free Beacon did, I'm sorry, talks about a lot of these districts might have strongly, you know, uh, strong voices from various communities that would reject her Islamism, such as significant uh, Jewish communities that they want to be able to run and say they never took money from Ilhan Omar. So on the one hand, the deniability of taking money is important from them for not taking Islamist money. And on the other hand, they're not speaking up against her Islamism or anti-Semitism and her rank radicalism. So much to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. It is always just beyond an honor to be with you. This is Zudi Jasser. I've been talking to you through my program, my podcast, Reform This. Please share it with your friends. Find us on SoundCloud. Find us on iTunes, and go to theblaze.com/backslash/podcast to share it. This is the bridge between the East, the Islamist world, and the West, modernity where we fight for universal human rights and we fight to defeat Islamism. No civilization, ladies and gentlemen, has ever survived on on playing defense only. We need to play offense, take sides within the House of Islam and play to win and project and promote liberty and freedom and defeat political Islam. This is where it starts. This is Udi Jaster on Reform This. Reform this with Doctor Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.